morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. There you go. You got it right this hey, week. Hey, hey, hey. I've been practicing all weekend, man. <laughs> <laughs> you can yeah. reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States with the area code of 225 in front of the phone number, which is 291-6901. We... Right now is the perfect time to call. That's right. We come in in the morning, and we always got all our lines wide open. So if you call in, you go straight up to the top of the list, and we can get to you real fast. And we've got time to spend answering the call thoroughly. If you wait till later in the show or when we're right up against end. a break, yeah, yep. we kind of got to rush it a little bit, just the way radio works. That's er- it. Everything's, everything's on, on time. Everything's on time schedule. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, give us a call. And, you know, I thought today we could talk about a couple of topics that, I've just kind of had bouncing around the back of my mind. They're not directly automotive repair, uh-huh. but they are automotive related. Of course. And the first one that I want to just kind of mention, and that is, I guess, as unpleasant as it might be, it's sort of a reality of life that occasionally you'll be dropping along and you may be involved with an officer of the law where they stop you for something, uh-huh. be it a general traffic stop or maybe you've done check something. Point yeah, or- checkpoint, maybe a speeding ticket or whatever. And I've spoke with a lot of different police officers on this topic as to what is the proper way that you would like to see a person handle themselves in that situation. And the first thing is a lot of different officers tell me, well, some officers are going to want you to get out of the car. Right. Some are going to want you to remain in the car. The best thing is to stop the car, turn the engine off, roll the window window down, and put both your hands on the wheel where the officer can see your hands. Of course. You got to remember, this guy is in a very, very high stress situation, and you don't need to do anything that would make that worse. Exactly. He's doing his job. He is not picking you out. He's not targeting you to be mean to you. He is enforcing the law in most cases or whatever reason he has for stopping you. And this situation is going to go a whole lot easier if you just be slightly polite about the whole matter. Oh, yeah. It's like I, the I old just, saying, respect, show some and get some. Exactly. <laughs> now, I know it's aggravating to get stopped or pulled over, but, I mean, it's what's happening, and you might as well just try to get out of it as fast as you can. Well, that's and right. And as easy as you can. And the thing is, if you feel like you've done nothing wrong, that's fine, but this is not a court of law. Exactly. We do not hold court in the street. You listen to the police officer. You do what he says. If you feel like you've been wrong, then you get an attorney and you go to court and you take it to court and you have your day in court like everybody else. That's the way we do things in this country. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's exactly right. You don't try to argue with the police officer or get rude with him or grab his gun or any of the foolishness that we see every day in the news. But that's just a primer. We've got lots and lots more than that, but I see all our lines are lit up. All right. Let's go to our phone lines. We've got Jimmy online. Good morning, Jimmy. Hey, good morning, Lewis. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. Look, I'm, uh, I'm looking at a 08 Nissan Xterra. Mm-hmm. Got a little over 100,000 miles on it to purchase. And I was just wondering, if, do you know of any inherent problems with that particular truck that it might have? And also, if I assume that there's nothing's ever been done to that truck but the oil changed on it, is there any, what kind of PM issues am I looking at, like timing belt or mm-hmm. anything like that that I need to take care of? Well, that one's not going to have a timing belt. It's got a timing chain on it, so you don't have to worry about that. The biggest problems I can think of on that, Jimmy, they had a fair amount of problems with the catalytic converters on them, where the converters would go bad. And it's really not an option on that one to drive around with a bad converter because they've also had some issues where the converter substrate can break up, and it's part of the exhaust manifold, so it can pop into the engine and tear the engine up. doesn't happen very often, but it can happen where the 
light comes on, you got a bad cat, and you just keep on driving it. We've seen a few issues with that. Second thing is the radiator on some of those. In fact, I've got an article on my website. They had some defective radiators. The radiator could rupture, and when it did, it could get water into the transmission. And you would have absolutely no warning. The first warning you'll get is the transmission's burned up. And you just, if, go on my website, read that article, just type in Nissan radiator, and it'll pop up for you. It'll tell you what years are involved and all that. If I had that vehicle, I would change the radiator I just consider yeah. that part of the purchase. When I bought it, I'd put a new radiator in. I wouldn't even try to push that. And really, at that age, it's about time for a radiator anyway. So I would change the radiator just to circumvent that problem. If you get a check engine light, get it checked. If it's a converter problem, take care of it right away. Beyond that, i got to say, they're decent vehicles. I haven't seen, you know, it's not the perfect vehicles, not they're without problems, but I hadn't seen a lot of problems out of them. They're a little more difficult to work on just because of the complexity and the compactness, the way that Nissan builds their engines. So it's just a little more labor involved yeah. when they're being repaired. But, but again, not, not, a not, hard, not a hard. If it, You know, with me, it'd be a matter of money. If I could buy it for a really reasonable price, I'd be interested. I would not pay the same for that as I would for, say, a Tundra or something like that or a Toyota. I, I would prefer to have a Toyota. But again, if I'm buying this a lot less expensive, you know, I can take a few. Take the risk on take it. Take a few risks on it, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Lewis. I appreciate your time. All right, Mr. Jimmy. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number, and we're going back to our phone lines with Bill. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. Thank you for the lecture about the how to deal with police officer. I'm, <laughs> yeah. a, I'm a concealed weapons instructor, and mm-hmm. I try to teach people that because it keeps people safe. That's so right. I got a quick question for you about an Acura uh, RDX little turbo four-cylinder. Yes, sir. How often do I need to change the timing belt on that? I would have to look yeah. that one up. Are you sure it has a timing belt on it, Bill? I don't know if it's a chain or a belt. Yeah, it's know. probably going to be a chain. Almost all of your newer model motors are chains. Okay, this is an 07. I would have to look yeah. it up. I'm just not certain. I think Honda and Acura, somewhere around 04, went to chains on almost all of their four cylinders. Now, some of their V6s are still belts. But I am relatively sure it is a chain. But again, if you send me an email, I could look it up in service data and be certain. It's probably going to be a chain. All right. And it does not have to be changed. Does it require synthetic oil on the engine? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Most of the ones with yeah. chains are going to require synthetic oil. That's kind of one way to know the difference. Because that chain requires a lot more lubrication. That's why they went to the synthetic requirement on them. But, yeah, most likely it's going to be a chain. But, again, if you want to send me an email, I'll look it up for you in service data and be certain. All right. Thank you very much. You I bet. appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number, and we've got Glenn on the line. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning, Lewis and Brian. This is Glenn from Los Angeles. I absolutely love your show. Well, I can't you. tell you how great it is. I love it so much. Thank you. I have a question about automotive safety and disconnecting the battery when working on the engine. Mm-hmm. I have a 1999 Ford Ranger, and it doesn't have a lot of technology. Right. It. It's uh, I've disconnected when I've uh, it has 325,000 miles on it. I bought it with about 30,000, so I've put about 300,000 miles. Pretty on much got yeah. money's worth. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that I have. It still runs great. I've done all the work on it myself. Mm-hmm. Whenever I'm working around the belts or hoses. I've always disconnected the battery, and for safety reasons, because I didn't want the engine or somebody to get in and accidentally try to crank the engine while my hands are around the belts and hoses. Mm-hmm. 
I've never had any problem with relearning the adaptive learning for a throttle position, shift points. I know I lose my I am readiness test, but mm-hmm. I put it through a drive cycle and I'm right. ready to go again. I recently bought a 2011 Toyota Camry. Mm-hmm. It's a great car, and I, but I want to go through and change all the fluids, belts, and hoses. I'm hesitant to disconnect the battery on it because I know it has a lot more technology and adaptive learning, and I know it can affect other things. I was thinking of possibly like pulling a fuse or a relay to prevent the car from starting. What is your recommendation? So I, I'd want to work on it safely. I don't want the engine to possibly accidentally crank mm-hmm. if i am got my hands around the belts and hoses. I'm concerned about disconnecting the battery. Yeah, Go I don't ahead. think I would disconnect the battery, Glenn, for the exact reasons that you mentioned. I mean, right. you can pretty much do the same thing. It has a push-button start or a key? It's got a key. Yeah, if you got a key, I mean, if you got the key out of the car and in your pocket, you want to go to just a, another level of safety, you can even lock the doors on the car while you're working on it just to keep anybody from accessing the start position. Okay. But uh, other than that, I mean, you could pull the start relay, the yes, starter relay out, and mm-hmm. the engine would not start then or would not even turn over. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wouldn't okay. crank is what I was but, after. But, yeah, that one you're going to lose all the things you mentioned, and also Plus, the windows sometimes have to be reprogrammed. Your windows won't roll up and down anymore because there's a module on that. Best not to disconnect a battery any any more than you absolutely have to on a modern car. That's kind of what I figured. Okay, that's great advice. So when I replace, when it comes time to replace the battery, I mm-hmm. would use like a battery device that applies voltage that, to the battery. That well, is okay, ideal. Okay, yes, okay, that is good, ideal. Good. And what I like to do is change the battery before it dies. I change batteries every three years. I just yeah. you know, the average around the United States is about thirty six months, slightly less in the South because it's so hot. But I right. just changed my battery in three years. I've got my money's worth. I don't want to have a dead battery. I jump across it, change it, so I never lose that. Now, if you wait until the battery goes dead, then you've pretty much lost it anyway, so you got to have to deal with the And not thing. only that, right. but 8 volts will start an engine. Mm-hmm. We'll turn a starter right. over. At 8 right. volts, the computer loses its mind. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, the computer is designed yeah. to run at 12 volts. 12 and a half volts, yeah. Right. And you can even have problems with alternators and starters and all that by running a weak battery. So, to me, it's just not worth the cost of pushing a battery right that makes good sense thank you for your advice i'm going to follow it and uh, i really appreciate your show right, Glenn, thank you you're, very not much. Cl- you're not close to any of the wildfires out there are you <clears throat> no oh, this week there's been smoke everywhere all over the skies it's been horrible I have to stay inside my wife has asthma she can't oh, even go oh, inside the wildfires have been horrible oh horrible, geez horrible. i guess wherever you're at there's something <laughs> yeah. there's always something <laughs> well, Glenn, thanks you call man thank you very much uh-huh. bye-bye all right, we're going to take a quick little break. We're going to have you back with a whole, whole lot more. Hey, Mike, heading out for your run? I just knocked out three miles myself. Yep, did my meditation this morning to de-stress, and now I'm going to get a little exercise. Tomorrow I need to take the car into the shop, though. That shaking problem's getting worse. Uh, you know, you should take care of your car like you take care of your body, and it would save you some money. What do you mean? Preventative maintenance is key. Me and Kathy bring our cars in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They give them the once-over and perform the maintenance needed to keep us on the road. I haven't had any kind of major problem with my cars in forever. I guarantee they would have caught the cause of your shaking issue and fixed it before it became a problem. And probably saved me money, too. Yep. All right, I'm heading home this evening for steak and lobster. Then Kathy and I are going to test run our new hot tub. Surf and turf and a new hot tub? Yeah, and champagne. Saving money on your car allows you to enjoy the finer things in life, Mike, my boy. 
Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us at the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Today, we were talking a little bit about traffic stops and uh -huh. some of the ways to best Make, handle that. Right. But as always, whatever question you might have, it doesn't have to pertain to the topic we're discussing. That's just something to give us to jack our jaw about. Exactly. <laughs> between the callers. <laughs> you know, we kind of were talking just a little bit about when a police officer stops you mm -hmm. the best thing do not jump out of the car and if there's more than one person in the car this goes for all of them. oh definitely you, you don't start hopping out of the car three or four people right this officer may be by himself he's already nervous he doesn't know if you are john citizen or an ex-con who just escaped from prison with exactly. a gun ready and he wants to go home at night just like you do sure so Again, don't start hopping out of the car. Sit back. Allow him to tell you what he wants you to do. Right. And and don't get nervous if he sits in his car for a few minutes. That's right. He's going to do that. He may be running your license number to make right. sure it's not a stolen car. He's trying to assess and lower the risk for everybody. Correct. And so, again, you got to remember, he's got the gun and the badge. He's in control. Mm -hmm. He is in command of the situation, and he's got the law on his side. Right. There's nothing that you're going to do or say that argue with this guy that's going to change the situation or make it better far far better is good afternoon officer <laughs> yeah. what do you need me to do yes yes sir. what you do like i said keep your hands in plain sight because as an officer of the law his biggest threat are your hands sure if you grab a gun if you grab a knife if you grab anything you're going to grab it with your hands so he wants to know where your hands are put your two hands on the steering wheel if he asks you for your license, if he asks you for your registration, if he asks you for a proof of insurance, tell him, I'm going to reach for them. They're in the glove box. Is that okay? He doesn't want you just reaching over, grabbing into a glove box because some people keep guns in a glove box. Sure. All sorts of things. Again, if you're trying to see it from his perspective, best is to take your registration and your proof of insurance, put it on your sun visor. There's usually a little band there somewhere. Put it right there. The current insurance papers, not flipping through five or six copies of the old ones <laughs> as my, i know most people just take and throw the new one in there with the rest of the old ones i was bad about I, that myself. i would throw the new one in there leave the old ones in there and i had an officer one time stop me he says well you know you're not supposed to have those expired ones in there mm -hmm. he's got time constraints he's like you know, he didn't want to sit there while you flip through five or six copies of your proof of insurance to find the current one so when you put your new proof of insurance in the vehicle take the old one out sure best like i said take it put it on your sun visor that way you can say officer they're right on my sun visor reach up slowly lower the sun visor hand them to him and there you go most people are going to carry if it's a man they're carrying their license in their back pocket right ladies maybe in their, their purse. purse but again that, inform that is... inform the officer what you're trying to do don't just reach over and grab your purse don't just reach over into the sun visor Tell the officer i'm going to reach for my asking permission yeah. i mean my may, license may I ask from... can i reach over my wallet is in my back pocket when my driver's license. Mm -hmm. Do you mind if I reach over and get it? Mm -hmm. And communication is the key here. Well, and slow and easy. And again, remember, like I said earlier, respect. You give some, and you're going to get, get a whole lot. Exactly. You know, if you start trying to treat him like an adversary and like a thug, he's going to probably treat you the same oh, way. Yeah. Just human nature being what it is. But these are the ways that you handle this. Again, if you feel like you are in the right or you have done nothing wrong. That is fine. This is not the place that we handle that. 
Right. That's what the courtroom is for. That is what court of law is for. You can stand in front of a judge with your suit and tie on, and you can tell your side. The officer will tell his side, and the judge will decide, and then that will be the way we do things. And that's the end of it. If you don't, well, if you don't agree with that, you can appeal it to another court, and you can keep on going all the way to the United States Supreme Court. That's the way our series of laws are set up. You don't. Take it on yourself. Oh, this isn't right. You shouldn't stop me. You just right. can't. That, that's, not the, that's not the place for it. Yeah, that is not the place for that. You do not argue with the police officer. He is there to do a job. He's not there to pick on you. He's not there to target you. He is just there to do his job. Right. Again, if you are nice about the whole thing, I have been stopped before, not very many times in my life, but because I'm an old guy and I drive slow. <laughs> but the times that I have, I got to say, most of the time, if I stopped. I was polite to the man. I said, yes, yeah. sir, what did I do? He says, well, you exceeded the speed limit. It's 45. I'd say, I'm sorry. I, I didn't realize it was 45 in this area. And many times, so I'll let you off with a warning because he has that option in many right. cases. And right. it's in your best interest to be nice and be polite about oh, it. Of course. I didn't know that. Where's the sign? Well, that's, that's a sure ticket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is a sure ticket. Absolutely right. So, Anyway, we just thought, I know that's not directly related to auto repair, although it is an automotive sort of a reality of life. That's just one of those things where being polite, like my mother always said, you get more flies with sugar than you do with vinegar. (laughs) (laughs) May save you a whole, whole lot of grief. Yep. Another topic that, again, is not auto repair, but you had mentioned it, and I think it's a very good topic to talk about. Sure. And that is all the different types of fuels that are in some gas stations these right days. i mean before you had a separate pump for diesel and you had a separate pump now i'm talking back when you had leaded and unleaded with mm-hmm. your choices they've gone away with the leaded fuel and gone to unleaded which most of us driving now have used just the unleaded fuel right. now when you go to the the gas station there's maybe three or four handles on the pump one of them's green which green is always diesel mm-hmm. so unless you're driving a diesel vehicle you don't, ever have, you don't to... ever have to worry about the diesel. Mm-hmm. Now, you have three or four types of regular gasoline now. At, at some point, at, sta- at some stations. You have, which is the, the non-ethanol, which is the fuel you used to buy. Mm-hmm. That is on a separate pump. You have the fuel that you've been buying, which is the 10%. E10. Mm-hmm. The ethanol 10%. And you also now have the option of E15, which is a 15% ethanol mix which is not supposed to be used in anything older than 2001 and only for flex fuel vehicles. Mm -hmm. And at some stations, there's actually an E85 type fuel. Which is 85% alcohol. And it is designed strictly for flex fuel vehicles. Right. And amongst the the four just regular fuels, the price is going to differ. The amount of energy in the fuels is going to differ. You're going to get probably more economy with the non-ethanol fuel and as it goes as they start adding ethanol your mileage and everything's going to start coming right. down and there's ethanol has 33 percent less energy per gallon than regular fuel regular fuel or per volume than regular fuel so if you add 10 percent ethanol to regular gasoline you're going to lose 3.3 percent of your energy correct which is 3.3 percent of your mileage so even though it may be cheaper because it's subsidized on some level or another it's not necessarily going to save you money because you are going to lose some energy. Which means you're going to be back at the station getting more right. before you would if when you were When you go to 85, E85, 
you know, I can't do the math in my head, but it would be 33% of 85%. Right. You're going to lose some energy. You're not going to get the same fuel miles with that as you would get, even if you have a flex fuel vehicle. Right. Now, if you put that in a non-flex vehicle, which I have seen, seen done, it done, you can cause damage to the car. Yes, you can. It will probably quit running and throw the check engine light on first. I have seen times when it takes the fuel pump out. Mm-hmm. And again, maybe the fuel pump was going to go out anyway and that just finished just it finished off. It. I just don't know. But... It is not ever advisable to put that in any vehicle that doesn't specifically say it can run on it. And really and truly, I wouldn't put it on a vehicle that can can, run on it. Yeah, exactly. I just don't see any advantage to it at all. I I don't either. I mean, maybe in a pinch, if if that was the only fuel you could get. Could get, maybe. Mm -hmm. You you had to go, and and that was all you could get. I could see using it, but if there's an option to use the the 10%, I'm with the 10%. Right. And I guess funny that all this different variation they're putting in there, it just increases errors a lot more. There's a lot more room for things to go wrong when you have several choices. Sure. It's very easy to go up and stick, grab the wrong nozzle, put the wrong fuel in your car and then have trouble. Probably one of the most devastating things to put gasoline in a diesel. Or vice versa. Vehicle. Or, or vice versa. It's really gas in a diesel will hurt more than diesel in a gas car. Mm-hmm. Diesel in a gas car is probably just going to die, not run, and may file the plugs out. Right. But when you put gasoline in a diesel, you can get into some extreme damage conditions. First off, you may burn up the injectors in it because there's no oil to lubricate the injectors. Number two, you're operating at a much, much, much higher compression ratio than gasoline can utilize. In other words, that gasoline is going to explode with that piston about three-quarters of the way up the cylinder just sure. from all the pressure. It's just not designed for that fuel. The point is, when there's more and more and more options, it just brings on more and more choices, which people can make choices. They make wrong choices. So just got to be a lot more careful. Some of the newer gas stations used to be all these things were on different pumps. Right. Just separate individual pumps. Now they're all on the same pump, same with, different pump with different handles and nozzles. So you got to be much, much more careful. Now, that's not even beginning to talk about octanes. Oh, I know. Because you've got 87 octane, you've got 91 octane, and, you got and then 93. 93 octane, which are your three standard levels of uh, octane in fuel. Another thing about gasoline, and people see higher octane, and they consider it as a better fuel. It is not necessarily a better fuel. It is just a different fuel for a different, different application. application. Now, if your engine is a high-compression engine, it may require the higher-octane fuel. Right, that is not a suggestion. That is a requirement. If you put the lower-octane fuel in, it may run, but it's liable to detonate, ping, knock, damage the engine. It requires a higher-octane fuel. Now, how about if you put a higher-octane fuel into an engine that requires lower-octane? Well, we're well, going to talk about that when we get back from the break. So, Tina, are you interested in shopping next weekend? Oh, well, me and Harold leave for our European cruise on Friday. Another cruise? What? Are you all blowing the kids' inheritance? (laughs) No, we're just smart with our money. Like, our cars are paid off, and we're big on preventative maintenance. Harold takes them in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what we need to keep the cars running right. You'd be surprised on how fast you can save for a cruise without two car notes. (laughs) Wow, I never thought of that. I have time to do a little shopping this afternoon, though. I've got to get Harold a bathing suit. He keeps saying he wants one of those tiny Speedo suits because that's what everybody wears in Europe. And I cannot let that happen. Okay, now I have an image of Harold strutting around the pool in a Speedo. 
I think I'm going to book a general inspection from Agco to clear my mind. He wanted hot pink, too. <laughs> Tina, stop. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, it's the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We're awful glad to have you with us on this Saturday morning. You got a question or a comment? Why don't you give us a call? It's two nine one sixty nine zero one. That'll get you straight up to us. And you happen to miss your opportunity this morning to get a live answer? You can always go to the website, get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is a g c o a u t o dot com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the little form with the vehicle you're working on, and have the question about and a little brief description, but kind of in depth of the problem you're having and send it on in there you go couldn't be any easier we were talking a little bit about automotive fuels and just some of the things and we said that if you put a lower octane fuel than the car requires mm-hmm. you can damage the engine correct because it can start to ping and knock and detonate and all these sorts of things but now putting a higher octane fuel than the engine requires okay that's a little bit tricky because on some engines it is just not going to make any difference you're not going to get the bang for the buck, if, if you will. Mm-hmm. You're just going to pay more for fuel that the engine cannot utilize. On other engines, it can utilize it. Right. And what it can do is that when the computer notices the higher octane fuel, it can advance the timing more. It can do some things that may increase your fuel mileage, may even increase the fuel mileage enough to justify the extra it, costs of price the fuel. Difference. And it's one of those things you just have to experiment with. You have to do a little bit of math. You take the cost of the fuel and you divide it by the mileage. But you might just want to try a tank of the plus, the go 91. Up, go up one step. And just see what happens. If your fuel mileage jumps up two to three miles to the gallon, that may be enough to, to justify the cost sure. price difference. It may not. It's just one of those things you have to play it by ear. I know your Buick runs better on it the does. 91. I very often will run the 91 octane, unless there's an extreme difference in price. Sometimes the price difference is 25 cents a gallon. In that case, I can't get the Just, difference. Right. But in stations where it's maybe 10 cents a gallon more, it's worth it to me to run the 91 because it car does run better. It does get better fuel mileage with the 91 octane. So, again, it's just a matter of doing the math and figuring out which one is going to save you money. Right. Because like everything on this show, it's all about overall lowest cost, not necessarily just the price you pay. Let's go back to our phone. We've got Williams on the line. Good morning, Williams. I have a problem, a gentleman, with an 06 Nissan. Runs like a sewing machine, gas mileage good. I am been dri- I have been driving with a rejected inspection sticker for going on a year now because I've gotten estimates of 500 to $1,500 to look at the emission chips. I tried twice at the inspection station, and it says three emission chips, do you call them? I'm not uh, sure what that is. Where are you calling from? Gonzalez. Yeah, there is an amount over which you do not have to spend. And, again, you're going to have to check with somebody who knows more about it than I do. They have what they call protest centers. And a protest center, I know there's one in West Baton Rouge Parish. There's probably mm-hmm. one in Gonzalez somewhere. What you can do is if what you're saying is a fact, then you can go to them with this information and say it would cost this much money to repair this car. And they will give you a waiver for a period of time. Now, that's not a get-out-of-jail-free card forever. 
but there's a dollar amount in the law that you don't have to exceed in a year. And I don't know what the amount is. You'll have to go to a protest center and check on that. But I'm not sure what they're talking about with that. I've known of no problem on a Nissan that can't be diagnosed relatively easily, probably in an hour or less. Now, the repair may cost more than that, depending on what it is. But again, as far as diagnosing, it shouldn't be a big deal. It's, it's diagnosed just like any other car. Well, I didn't know. If, well, that's what I was looking for. Uh, someone, a couple people told me one was a mechanic to disconnect the battery for an hour, drive it for 100 miles, and the chips reset. It's not going to reset. What it does, it clears all the codes out, and all the information that the shop would need to fix the car is now gone. So it's going to make it much more expensive to get it repaired when you do go get it repaired. It will eventually relearn, and if it fails again, it has a readiness test. So if you disconnect the battery go to the inspection station, it's going to fail because the readiness tests are incomplete. As those tests complete, it's going to fail again, and the light's going to come back on. So you cannot get around it. Yeah, that's the only thing wrong with it. Yeah, well, that's a pretty big yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> you need to go get that looked at. Yeah, you need to go get that looked at and find out what's on. If you drive around with a check engine light on, you're doing yourself two or three disservices. There's no check engine light. Okay, well, uh, one, one mechanic told me it could be a little pinhole in the muffler. Well, you, you need to go and get it checked. If the light's not on, either the light's burned out or the readiness tests are incomplete. You know, it's when there's a code in memory, it's going to have a light on unless something else is wrong. The problem is, if you ignore the problem, it's not you're not going to have a light to tell you when something does go wrong. Yeah, I have a light that tells me when the oil was low. It came on a few months ago. Because yeah, I well, a, see, that's a that's whole different, different thing. thing. Yeah, the check engine light is what we're talking about. Yeah, that's what came on when it was low on oil. So it's not the check engine light. It's Ascension Parish and another parish. And Baton Rouge Parish are the only three. But it's five parish areas. It's, it's five parish area, and they all have. And what you're probably doing is you're disconnecting the battery and going down there telling you readiness tests are incomplete. You just need to get some better advice. All right. Thank you. All right. Most people just do not understand about check engine lights. They don't. They, they have it's a, a chain, total, but that's yeah. just the way it, the system works. Yeah. The way it is is that when a problem occurs, it's going to set a code in memory. Not every code will turn on the light. Correct but it will set a code in memory or a pending code. Once that code manifests in there, then when you go to get an inspection sticker, you're going to fail because of code in memory. If you disconnect the battery, that will clear the code out of memory, but it also clears what they call the readiness test. In other words, the computer will have to regenerate all this data. Right. It runs those tests, individual tests under certain conditions, to make sure that that system is operating properly. Now, if you go down there to get a sticker while you've, after you disconnect the battery and the tests have not completed, they're going to say, okay, you're not going to pass because the tests are incomplete. Correct. Once the tests complete, it's either going to fail again if the problem still exists or the lights are going to clear until the problem occurs again. Now, some problems do not occur every single drive cycle. Of course not. You may have a problem maybe only occurs every month, once a month, once every two months. Now, if you happen to catch it in between when the readiness tests have finished and the problem has occurred again you may sneak in there and get a sticker right but i wouldn't count on that the problem is the thing is if you've got a problem you can ignore it say well da 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 or you can go ahead and get it fixed it's in your best interest because a check engine light is not your enemy it's your friend it's trying to tell you something's wrong with the car it's trying to tell you that you got a problem and, and the you longer need, you let it go the more expensive it's going to be nothing when, is ever going to get better by just putting it off it's going to going to eventually come back to haunt you i know i've got a friend who had a check engine light come on had it checked and it was a catalytic converter mm-hmm. which is very expensive on that car and he wrote a letter to me he said that or email i should say 
He said that it runs fine. Can I just ignore the problem? I said, well, okay, you can. However, these are the implications. Number one, you won't be able to get a state inspection sticker. Right. So you may get stopped because of that. If you're ignoring the warning system, then if something else happens, then you won't know about it. Right, because the light's already on. Right. It's sort of like ignoring the fire alarm in your house. Let's say you got a alarm that goes off all the time. You can't understand why it's going off. You either need to get another alarm or find out what's wow. wrong. Because if it continues to go on like that and you ignore it and your house catches on fire, you're not going to know about it. Exactly. And so you can't do that. Also, with a catalytic converter, it can plug up, which can cause the car to overheat. It can die. cause die. It can cause all kinds of problems. Right. Or the substrate in the catalyst can rupture and get back in the engine and tear the engine up. So there's nothing there that's going to get better if you just ignore it and put it off. Exactly. So better to go ahead and just take care of the problem instead of, going through all these different things to try to get around it. Well, I mean, go to somebody who knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They can diagnose the problem for you. And a lot of things the average person can do themselves. Yeah. If you want to do the repair yourself, that's fine. Yeah, go ahead and pay somebody to diagnose it, tell you what's really wrong with it. Yep. And then if you want to fix it, that's good. But the thing is, all this stuff about, well, I've got a car, nobody can. No, that's not true. That's the same car that everybody else drives. If that was the case, then millions and millions of them would be out right, exactly. there. And that's just not the case. There is no problem that's not going to be able to be resolved. You know, it's just a matter of, of finding out what's it. wrong, diagnosing it properly. Let's go back to our phones. Paul, good morning, Paul. Yeah, man. Yeah, you hear me? Yeah, yes, go sir. ahead. Yeah, man, perspective on this uh, wedding thing that we talking about. I'm, I'm sorry, Paul. I'm not here. Why don't you call back and maybe you can get a better line there. Uh, I'm getting about every other word. We're going to take our last quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hey, Jim. Becky said you were in the office and, whoa, what is up with all the charts and graphs, buddy? Oh, I'm using my system I've developed to keep up with the maintenance on my three cars. Is that an armillary sphere? Yes, yes it is. So, the oil gets changed every third full moon. Brake pads divide the years Becky and I have been married by our oldest son's age. Timing belt is leap year, except when it's on the time... You know there's a better way, right? I just take my cars into Agco once a year for a general inspection. They give me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need. Sometimes it's just an oil change and they send me on my way. One time, they caught something that could have led to a huge repair. Saved me thousands. Wow, that sounds great. You know, I'm always trying to save money any way I can. Uh, Let me get Agco's number online and uh, give them a call. Is that dial-up? Dude, there's a better way to save money. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. And we were talking during the break, and we forgot a very important topic on our being stopped by a police officer. Right that I feel we need to cover. Okay. I know people in Louisiana carry some kind of weapon in their car. A lot of people do. In the state of Louisiana, your car is an extension of your home, so whatever you can do in your home, you can do in an automobile. Mm -hmm. But the officer really needs to be aware of what is inside that car when he walks up to it. So if you have a concealed carry permit, which a lot of Louisiana people do, hand him that with your driver's license. That way he can assess the situation from there. He's going to ask you, do you have it on you? Be honest with the man. Oh, know? yeah. Or whoever pulls you over, man, woman, be honest with them. Tell them, yes, I do, or no, I don't, and he will proceed from there. 
Yeah, and you know you do have a right to carry a weapon in your car in the state of Louisiana. That is not necessarily the same in every state in the union. Correct. So if you are traveling, you have to be mindful of that. If you drive through a state that does not allow you to carry a weapon in that vehicle, then you, you need to know that before you enter that state. You, you need to drive around that state or, or don't <laughs> carry a weapon, one or the other. There are also places that you cannot carry a weapon even if you have a permit. Correct. Generally, federal facilities are federally regulated facilities. Like a federal court? Airports, court buildings, even the port where you go to like a cruise, that is regulated through TSA, which is a federal agency, and you're not allowed to carry a weapon even if you have a permit. permit. So you have to have a little bit of common sense about it. Carrying a weapon is a right in the United States, mm-hmm. but it is also a regulated right. Correct. So if you want to avoid all the legal ensnarements and implications, then you have to be responsible about it, like you do with, with a lot of things. Right. you got to do your homework on it. Well, it's just like driving a car is not a right. Driving a car is a privilege. Correct. With that privilege comes certain responsibilities. Number one is that you have a license to operate the car. Number two is that you have a title and a registration in the car. Number three in many states is that you have liability insurance Mm -hmm. on that vehicle that says you are responsible. Now, that's not universally the case throughout the United States or throughout the world, but in many states, you do have to have liability insurance on that vehicle. Also, in many states, there is an inspection process that says you have to have a sticker, which will mean the car is safe to operate and so on and so forth is that now that varies by the parishes in louisiana right. or i guess by the counties in other states for instance like we were talking to the gentleman earlier in five parishes i think it's east baton rouge west baton rouge point Capi, ascension and livingston. and livingston there is a federal mandate that you have an inspection that checks the emissions on your car and you right. can't have a check engine light right and it's a one-year sticker it's right. only good for one year from the date of purchase right and then at the end of that you have to re-inspect it now, now in, outside of the five parish area well, in new orleans for instance they don't really get, call it an inspection they call it a brake tag just uh-huh. because they had them before the rest of the state but you do not have to have the emissions testing right and that is a two-year you can get that in a two-year sticker some of them can yes but the thing is it has to your inspection sticker has to be where the car is registered. Correct. You can't just say, "Well, I'll drive to another parish <laughs> and get it done." <laughs> to get and around, come back. Yeah. yeah. The inspection has to be in the parish where the vehicle is registered. Correct. So let's see. We got time to catch right. one more line here. We got Ray on line. Good morning, Ray. Hey, good morning, y'all. Just wondering, y'all. I mentioned concealed carry permits. Whenever y'all were talking about uh-huh. uh, having a weapon in your vehicle, yeah. Uh-huh. Do you have to have a concealed carry permit to have a weapon in your vehicle? No, not no, in sir. Louisiana. You do not. not your car is an extension of your home Correct. in Louisiana, so you can just like you can have a weapon in your home, you can have a weapon in your car. Now, obviously, there are restrictions there. If you're required by law for some other reason not to have a weapon, then that would apply as well. You know, if you're a convicted felon or something like that, that might change. Sure. But the average citizen has a right to carry a weapon in his car in the state of Louisiana. Gotcha. Appreciate it, y'all. Go right. Tigers. Thanks, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. I not be giving out legal advice here, yeah. but that, <laughs> that is something I know a little bit about. There you go. <laughs> and like you said, if you do have a weapon in the car, it is best to make the officer aware of that of course. if he stops you. Of course. He's not going to look down on you or try treat to, you. Right, try to jerk you out the car yeah. or anything. It's just he's going to go through a different process mm-hmm. of dealing with 
the situation. Right. And again, if I were a police officer, I would want to know that. Oh, most definitely. <laughs> because most definitely. if this happens to come down to a different set of circumstances where it is necessary that he searched the car and he finds the weapon and you didn't disclose it, it's going to be a whole lot harder to explain sure. at this point than if you just disclosed that up front. Exactly. So, exactly. Anyway, if you travel to different states or to different countries, for instance, Canada does not allow you to carry a weapon uh-huh. with you. Uh, you can own a weapon. You can hunt with a weapon. But and I'm not sure of all the laws in Canada. I know we have a lot of Canadian visitors, maybe or listeners. listeners maybe some could clarify that for me. But it's not like in the United States where you can just have a gun in your car riding around. Mm-hmm. They, they don't allow that. England and several other places around the world do not allow you to have a gun. Uh, in and the there vehicle. are some cities in in the United States that do not allow weapons. Right. There are also a lot of places that do not allow a weapon. Generally, schools are not going to allow you to carry a weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of bars or establishments where they sell alcoholic Alcohol. beverages, right? even some businesses, it's up to the business owner to say he does not want people with weapons walking into his place. He has to post a sign on the window of the door going into the establishment for that to be case. the case. <laughs> there you go. So, Again, not to get off into a big old thing on second right <laughs> amendments and stuff, but a lot of folks do carry weapons in their vehicles. Sure. And particularly when they travel, they just feel safer having a weapon with them. And that's fine. I really, I'm sort of an apolitical sort of a guy. I don't have a lot of thoughts one way or the other. I know what I want to do, and, and I do what I want to do within right. the structure of the law. But again, not for or against one way or the other. It's just one of those choices you make. And you got to remember there are ramifications for all the choices you make. Most definitely. And, and that pertains to everything in life. <laughs> <laughs> so I tell you, talking a little bit about just fuels and stuff like that. One last thing that I'd like to kind of mention about fuel, and we see this occasionally where people will run their fuel tank all the way to empty. Till the light comes on. Till the little light comes on or whatever. That is not a good idea if you notice most vehicles, the last little quarter of a tank on that gauge is red. red. Now, the reason they do that is because when you run your tank near empty, you're doing a couple of things. Number one, the fuel cools the fuel pump. Also, the weight of the fuel adds head pressure to the pump, which eases the load on that pump. Correct. A fuel pump today is a very, very complex device. It has to regulate a very high fuel pressure, up to 65 PSI, it has to be regulated within one or two PSI. So it takes a very, very technologically advanced pump to do that. That's mm-hmm. why they're in the tank. It has to be in the tank to do these things. The fuel that surrounds that pump is what cools it. That takes the heat out of the pump and cools it. When your tank is low, you're not getting the cooling effect. Right, because the pump is no longer covered with the fuel. That's right. And air is not nearly as effective as liquid in taking heat out of an item. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the other thing is... The weight of the fuel in the tank pushes fuel into the inlet of the pump, which eases the load on the pump. Sure, it doesn't work as hard. It doesn't draw as many amps. You can generally take an amp meter, a sensitive amp meter, put it on a pump, or put a lab scope on a pump, run it low on fuel, and you can see the pattern on the pump changes. Sure. It is definitely under duress at that point. So if you don't want to have to buy a fuel pump prematurely, just treat that last little quarter like empty. Go ahead and fill the tank. Exactly. You'll be dollars ahead. I see we're just about out of time. We're going to start winding on up and getting ready to get on out of here. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends and go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be. Find a written review and fill it out for us. There you go. Fill out a written review and send it in. That way we can get more people listening to the show because our name will come up close to the top of the list. 
How to work. There you go. Always appreciate that. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Thank you.